Hey, 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 who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 380. 380! So hope you're keeping well and safe. We hope you've had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something Doctor, Doctor Who. Who related. Related. I didn't leave you hanging too long on that one. Not too bad. Late again though. <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah, always. Welcome to 380, everybody. <laughs> hope you're keeping well. And uh, we've got some news to talk about this week. News. Which is good, which is going to be a precursor into the round table that's going to drop early next week. Because mm. we're gonna we're gonna report on the stories, but in the roundtable, we got some of the writing team together. We had Mark, Harry, and Maria, and we had a bit of a deep dive into some of these things and got their thoughts on on that stuff. So yeah, we have got some news to talk about, which is good. And then we're on to our review of the third Doctor story, the old classic, the six parter, the beefy one in the <laughs> perks we hear. It's Colony in Space. We'll get on to yeah. that in due course. Before we get on to that, though, dude. Uh, I haven't done anything Doctor Who related other than uh, chat to those guys last night and watch the the review for Colony in Space. I haven't even unpacked and take this, taken the cellophane off of the Series 9 set yet. Wow, blimey. Yeah, that's still sat on the shelf. It's it's Every time I walk into the living room, it's like, Gary, I'm here. Come and unwrap me. <laughs> Come and watch me. And I'm like, oh, I've got stuff to do. Just don't distract me. Just, until, just wait until the weekend. It's like having a... It's like having a little kid that wants some attention. So um, mm. I haven't even done that yet. But I know that you've watched some and yeah. you've been to a, a Doctor Who event. So hit us with your uh, your week in Who. Yeah, yeah. Quite a busy couple of little weeks, actually, since we last recorded. I, I've just got visions now of your Blu-ray box set in the corner of the room and Pertwood's eyes just burning into you. Watch me, watch me. Um, I haven't watched as much of it as I'd hoped. I've watched all of the behind the sofas. They're always my first go to when a blu-ray box set comes out and they are as entertaining as ever um <laughs> there's a bit where they all cheer uh when pertwee says the line reverse the polarity of the neutral flow and all everyone on the sofa goes yes he said it he said it which is really fun because that's exactly <laughs> what happened at the bfi mm. when he said that line everyone cheered um so yeah but it's a, it's a nice set and i have to say it it really does look lovely in hand because I think when it was first, when the cover was first released, me and you said it was nice, but we weren't a hundred percent sure about it, were we? So the artwork's really lovely as always from Lee, but it was something about the face, a little bit like the first Doctor one. I have to say, when it arrives of a day, it really does look good. Actually, it's a lovely looking set, and not just the cover. Um, when you open it up, all the artwork on that side is is stunning. It's a, it's another box of beauty. Uh, it really doesn't let us down. So yeah, I'm going to be working my way through. I'm I'm probably going to watch the location one tonight uh, where Katie Manning goes back to some of the locations. That looks a hell of a lot of fun with her on a motorbike. So that'll be my evening's viewing. Uh, but yeah, I also did go to a Riverside event. Uh, was that two weeks ago now? Where are we? I think so. Weekend before this one. Yeah. Yeah. Weekend, weekend before, before last. Yeah. yeah. Which was very good. We got to watch um, three episodes of classic Hartnell uh, they just sort of picked one episode from a couple of stories like Dalek Invasion Earth and... Um, How was your um, time watching the... Uh, oh, the Web Planet. The Web Planet oh, episode. Gosh, yeah, it was a bit too soon. It was a bit too raw. <laughs> the wound uh, was still open. 
It from. was. I did drift <laughs> off a little bit. I must admit, I just stared because I didn't want to get my phone out, obviously. But I did stare into space <laughs> for quite a long time when that was on. But what what was weird about the screening was the, the first thing that caught me was when it started. I immediately noticed how bad quality uh, the prints were. I was thinking because you know the the credits started and it's all crackly and there was sort of bits going across the screen you know like scratches and i was thinking wow is this this reminds me of when i first bought the vhs tapes and watched them it looked like that um and i guess because we're so used to when we go to the bfi they have all the remastered and cleaned up versions um we were obviously watching absolutely raw (laughs) unmastered versions so it was quite interesting in a way because there was cracks and pops across the sound and as I said, scratches across the film and, you know, you know, they're, they're like a split second, but you can notice sort of things on the picture, can't you? It was very interesting to see the episodes like that because it really does show how much they clean them up. I mean, the, the difference was so noticeable and I've no idea why we were watching raw footage. Someone said, someone said they were VHS uh, versions of the episode transferred to disc. I, but maybe the, maybe the Riverside can't get the rights to them. Um, so that was interesting because uh, it did it did sort of um, it was quite interesting to see them with all their um, little what's the word I'm looking for beginning with I all their little uh, bits and bobs bits and bobs not, not yeah. removed all the scratches and and yeah. hissy sound really hissy sound as well but it was a great <laughs> event Caroline Ford was there imperfections that's the word I was looking Imperfe- for oh yeah imperfections yeah. <laughs> um, Caroline Ford was there she was in a great mood uh, actually I mean I've met her a couple of times she's always very pleasant but she can be a little quiet I think a little reserved sometimes maybe just a little shy and she was in great form that day really really chatty and smiley and Lovely to meet, and uh, they did a little signing afterwards. Peter Purvis was there as well. Maureen O'Brien, they all did little talks on the stage. Very entertaining. Um, (laughs) There was a funny bit, though, when Peter Purvis was going on a little bit. He was telling a story, but he wasn't really reading the room because it it really the story was really going on. And Maureen O'Brien was just sat next to him going, oh, fuck, God, shaking her head. And the audience were laughing at her reaction, but I think Peter thought... (laughs) We were laughing at his story, but we weren't. We were laughing at Maureen just going, Peter, for goodness sake, wrap this story up. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a fun day, a really fun day. Um, there was a couple of other people in attendance and they had a TARDIS prop, a really lovely TARDIS prop in the middle of Riverside Studios um, as well. Uh, so, yeah, a great event. They are doing another one. Uh, is it next month or April, uh, April, March? I'm not sure. Coming up soon. I think it's going to be the crusade that they're doing. And I think Julian Glover's going to be there. Sadly, I won't be able to make this one because I'll be nipping back to the, the States. So I won't be in the country, but uh, if anyone wants a good day out with some fellow who fans, I, I definitely recommend it. It was, it was a good fun event. It does sound very cool, dude. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, the next one is coming up pretty soon. I think, um, uh, Riverside, is it the, the Crusade. Oh, these ones yeah. are called. Oh, yeah. So, Time in Riverside Number Two, which is the Crusade Q and A with Julian Glover and some other special guests, uh, which sounds rather good. Uh, when's that next? When is that? Sunday, the twenty-first of May. Actually, that's a oh, there we few go. months away. So, yeah, nice. That sounds good. Well, glad you had a good time, dude. 
Yes, it was fun. It was, mate. It was a very fun, fun event. Yeah, it was different to the BFI as well. If you know what I mean, it's quite nice mm. to be in a different setting. And Riverside Studios is a, a lovely place to go now. They've really, <laughs> they've really sort of cleaned it up, and it, it's very modern. And there's a nice bar there, and yeah, definitely worth a trip. And there's a Dalek that seems to be there all the time. So although the TARDIS, I assume, was just there for the event, <laughs> they normally have a Dalek in the window, um, and they have changed the Dalek. Dalek <gasps> tap. <laughs> It's Dalek Tat. He's got a Dalek Tat. No, actually, the one, well, I think the one before <laughs> might have been Dalek Tat. This time they've got the Weetabix Dalek, as we're calling oh, him. Yeah. So he's a red and black Dalek. Yeah. And he's called the Weetabix Dalek because he's the one from the Weetabix advert, mm. uh, which somebody very kindly sent me. Uh, I don't know how they found it. Um, they sent me a YouTube clip of it or something. So we're calling him the Weetabix Dalek. But he may have changed. By the time I come back from America, it could be a different Dalek. But Could be. Yeah, yep. I love the fact they have one on guard as you go in the entrance of the. Of the riverside is great that's very cool isn't it yeah, yeah. lovely all right i'm glad you had fun with that one dude yeah and uh yeah so one of us as usual has had a, a fairly decent <laughs> busy doctor Day week um right let's crack on with the rest of the episode before we get on to the news and our review etc make sure that you are subscribing or following our podcast and whatever podcast app you listen to your podcast that way you won't miss an episode when it lands every single friday and we have the monthly roundtable that also drops once a month and that's going to land next um next week on monday or tuesday uh you can also listen for free over on the website which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk and you can also read and check out all of the very cool editorials and review articles from our superb writing team we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook we chat Doctor Who throughout the week, so give us a like and a follow over there. And we have a free Discord server, so hop in there and chat Doctor Who with the other very cool community. And if you like our podcast and you want to give us a rating or a review, that would be awesome. You can do that on something like Apple Podcasts or uh, Podchaser, those sort of things, or Spotify. We'd love to, if you could drop us a rating or review. That would be awesome. And thank you to those who have done so thus far. And lastly, don't forget to remember to <laughs> check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, the Geek Sandbag. The Geek Sandbag, yes. Go check out check out <laughs> my mm-hmm. YouTube channel uh, over on YouTube. I'm also on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And? And TikTok. And TikTok. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I hate that. Oh, no, I don't, I'm not going to go down that route. I hate that app. I just did a little video for the new season nine box set and the music ran out before the, it was only 30 seconds and the music ran out when I was trying to stretch it. Oh, I hate that app. Oh mate, you make me laugh. <laughs> why do I, why thing. am I still on it? <laughs> the, from day one listener, since Adam has, has hopped on there, he's done nothing but complain about it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> not, not to mention the fact it's reading all my information apparently. Yeah. So I've already been cloned, I should imagine. Mm. Poor old clone. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you check out Adam's stuff, especially on TikTok. Yeah, especially TikTok. But in, seri- in all seriousness, his YouTube channel is very, very cool. <laughs> so grab a drink, get comfy, and watch through hours of very cool geeky stuff over there. Literally hours, Literally. Yeah. Okie dokie. Let's, uh, let's hop in the TARDIS, bud, and uh, let's get some news happening. Do a bit of news. First up, then you may have seen this land very recently. It was the, it was the thing that was teased, wasn't it, on the Doctor mm. Who YouTube channel? They put out a very, very, 
very tiny little teasery thing that just essentially was the logo for something called Doomsday. And then uh, we have the proper trailer drop, which is in the it's in conjunction with the 60th anniversary. It's like this kind of little little side adventure, this multi-platform side adventure uh, starring a character called Doom. So the the synopsis for it is somebody has sent literal death after Doom. She can only outrun it for 24 hours unless she can find the Doctor. So launching later this year, like I said, it's around it's around the 60th anniversary sort of time. This uh, standalone little story, um, transmedia or multi-platform, whatever you want to call it, uh, will allow Doctor Who fans to follow Doom, the universe's greatest assassin as she travels through all of time and space in pursuit of the Doctor to save her from the ever-approaching death. She only has 24 hours and a vortex manipulator to save herself before her fate is sealed forever. So this stands, uh, sorry, this stars stand-up comedian and comedy sketch artist Suze Kempner. And uh, she will be the face of Doom in the, as it's a multi-platform story, wherever you see anything that's online or visual, so that would be, I assume the BBC Doctor Who YouTube channel and also probably iPlayer, I would have thought. Then you'll see her. But if there's anything that's audio only, so BBC Audio, Big Finish, that sort of thing, then you'll then she'll voice the the character of Doom as well. She'll she'll do everything. And in terms of multi-platform, it's also spread across Doctor Who magazine and um there's a there's gonna be a book, maybe two, for this as well from Puffin and also something else. Um yeah, I think Titan Comics are involved. The comics, it? sorry, mate. That's it. Yes, yeah. exactly. So Russell T has said, Doomsday is a huge new adventure for the whole Doctor Who universe, starring the brilliant and hilarious Suze Kempner as an intergalactic assassin. Her adventures will span comics, audio and novel, video games, stories and more, expanding the world of Doctor Who into brand new territories. Beware the Doomsday. It's coming for us all. And then very quickly, Suze Kempner says, to be part of the Doctor Who universe, a British institution up there with cups of tea and James Bond is surreal and amazing. I love everything about Doom and can't believe I get to travel across time and space with her. So, Bud, this is a little standalone little thingy to get your teeth stuck mm. into. What do you reckon to this one? Mm. Uh, I must admit, I'm really gutted that I missed the round table last night. I would have loved to have heard um, what you guys uh, were saying about this and your opinions on this. So I'm really looking forward to listen to that podcast when that comes out um because i don't know your thoughts on it as of yet uh, obviously you'll tell me in a minute um i have so many questions mate. <laughs> so many questions about this i um first of all i'd, I'd never heard of suze kempner um before this dropped I, I wasn't aware of her i know she has a, a good following and um she seems to be quite popular and i know the people who do follow her know who she is are really excited for this so i just want to start before i give my thoughts on it just by saying I have nothing, you know, against Suze Kempner. Um, I'm, I don't want to be overly critical because I'm sure that she's, you know, I don't want to be down on someone that's probably very excited about this opportunity that they have to, to join the Doctor universe. But I have to be honest, uh, when I saw the trailer, I couldn't quite believe my eyes uh, in uh, how bad it so was. so amazed by it and how brilliant it was. <laughs> how bad it was. How bad it was. Uh, not just um, the delivery, the performance, the graphics, the music, 
the music at the end sort of makes me laugh because it's so bad. I don't quite know if it's a song or a piece of music, but just everything about it. I just watched it. Uh, I watched it a couple of times because I just couldn't quite take in what I was seeing. And my biggest question, and again, I'm not, I don't want to sort of, I'm trying not to use a swear word here. I don't want to that word on someone's parade. Yeah. That's, you know, I don't want to be nasty, but for me personally, I just felt like it was terrible on every level. And I just don't know who it's aimed at. That's the thing. Cause I watched it a couple of times and I thought, so maybe they're launching like some really young kids program because they want to get younger kids back into Doctor Who. Cause that's where the trailer seemed to be aimed at. It's very, I don't know if it's intentionally condescending, but the way that she's delivering the lines is very, and people, I hate to use this word because people have used it a lot, but it is very CBBC. It's very childlike. So I assumed this was for a children's spin-off. And so once I'd got that in my head, I thought, well, okay, relax. It's not aimed at you. It's it's for a younger audience. Um, and it's probably just going to be a fun thing. But then as more details emerged and we find out that it's actually a multi-platform thing and it's aimed at everybody, I couldn't then really understand why it was sort of produced the way it was, if that makes sense. Because Big Finish quickly put up a pre-order for the four disc bot set that they're going to release with with Suze Kempner presumably playing the role. And it's $29.99. And I thought, if that trailer was supposed to inspire me to <laughs> pre-order a £30 box set, of four discs of her delivering lines like that, then I, again, it sounds like I'm being critical of her. That's probably her style. I don't know her. So I, again, I just want to make that clear. I'm not trying to be nasty to her. Um, but it just, it just didn't inspire me to buy the set. And I can't work out who it's aimed at me. Um, all that it's going to be very expensive as well across multiple platforms, comics and stuff. And the whole premise of it as well. You know, on paper, I think it sounds okay, but then I start sort of delving into it and I'm thinking, why would the doctor want to help an assassin? Like assassins kill people. It's not really the sort of person the doctor would normally help and not really the sort of person we want as a, to put on a pedestal as a hero. Um, there's lots of things, mate. I don't really want to just bore people by being so critical about it, but I really did find myself just watching over and over again and just trying to work out what I was watching, who it was aimed at and what it's all about really, because there is nothing about that trailer that inspires me um, to buy any of it. I, I'm just not buying into this at the moment that maybe when the comics come out, if they've got really cool artwork or something, I might change my mind. But right now I'd, it, it feels like a bit of a misfire to me. It, it And I think the biggest thing, sorry, just to round this up very quickly <laughs> It's because the quality of the trailer is so bad, the graphics, the music, everything. I think that just fills a little bit of dread because we're expecting a bit of a relaunch for Doctor Who, aren't we? We're, Russell's back. It's a new era, new style, a bit like when Moffat took over, the production values went up. So for this to be one of the first things that comes out, it just looks so bad that it, it creates a bad impression. You can't help but think well, I hope this isn't the standard to come, which I'm sure it isn't, but it doesn't set a very good precedence. And that also just leads me to two quick questions is, did Bad Wolf produce this? Did Russell write this? Is it anything to do with Russell? Like who's written this? Like, is this a hangover from the previous era that's sort of coming out now? I, 
so many questions, mate. I don't know, but it's um, it's not impressed me at all. If I'm honest, mm. not at all. Oh dear. Yeah. Adam is not impressed one no, bit with this. Not afraid not. Yeah, I read. You. I'm not going to go into too much detail on this, dude. You'll be able to um, uh, if you listen to the roundtable listener next week. We dive into this quite a bit. But I will say that for me, I really like the logo, the the logo that says Doomsday with the clock, okay, and, and the style of it. it looks very cool. I love that. <laughs> the uh, the the premise also sounds kind of cool. I like like conceptually, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's just the uh, I think it's just the execution, mate. And also, I don't think I don't think they did themselves many favors by putting out a teaser to the trailer. Because it made it look like it was going to be this big event that, you know, that was going to be a bit more um, linked into or intertwined with the main story that's going to go on with the main show for the 60th. Yeah. And so when it dropped and it was this kind of little weird, and you're absolutely right, I know it's been used a lot, but it does have that kind of CITV or CBBC feel to it. The only thing that I can say, buddy, that's, um, that might alleviate things a little bit is that I think this is aimed at the slightly younger audience. That's how mm-hmm. I took it. Because okay. if we think about what's going to happen with the main show, with David Tennant's Doctor being back with Catherine Tate and, and, and all that stuff, that feels very heavy in terms of, um, you know, as a storyline and everything that's going on. It feels very much like um, you, you're really going to have to to dive into that a little bit and and mm. you know keep your concentration this feels like it's just something a bit more light and a bit more you know younger audience can just sort of dip in and, and have a look to see what's going on so yeah uh, i think i agree with you completely though on the the trailer like the quality of it and the mm. music and the delivery and stuff it is a little bit um does seem very weird for them to put out something that feels uh it almost feels like this, like Suze Kempner has sent in an audition tape, yeah, for yeah. something that she wants to ultimately play in the main show. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's almost like they've done a little screen test after an audition or something like that. Anyways, it, it's going to land at some point at the end, <laughs> towards the end of this year, probably around October time or in the run up to that, and it's going to kick off on. It just says Doctor Who digital channels, so to me mm-hmm. that says iPlayer and the Doctor Who YouTube channel. And then it's going to um, progress across the other platforms. So the magazine, comics, the book, video game, Big Finish, and then BBC Audio. And they're all going to tell their own little piece of the story. So each partner will create their own little bit of Doomsday's adventure. Uh, and they're all going to focus on one of the 24 hours that Doom has got left on the clock, so to speak. And then um, the standalone stories will also have a narrative that will play out before the finale. And it just says the finale releases on Doctor Who digital channels as well. So that's the YouTube and the, or the iPlayer or both. Mm. So we're going to come full circle. It'll be a proper little, little vid, little video. So doomsday 24 hours. She's got to find the doctor. We'll see what happens with doom. Mm, we'll see yeah. where it goes. I think maybe if we get some more details, it might, start peeling i don't know just before we quickly move on to the next bit of news i just want to ask you one quick question how do you feel about multi-platform things like this because time of victorious 
didn't really set the world alight. And I think there was some good stuff in Tyler Victorious. It, there was some not some good stuff, but there was there was some good bits. But that didn't work. I'm very surprised that they've gone down that route again. I'm just intrigued to see how you feel about multi-platform stuff. Mm. Or did you talk about this last night? Because I don't want you to have to repeat No, it's cool. I mean, I think think it can work, but the problem is it's got to be done with... when it's not when it's not a platform a multi-platform story and it's just like regular episodes of Doctor Who yeah then you're you're writing something that has to that has to land that has to hit the mark in terms of what story you're trying to tell mm-hmm. or what characters you're trying to progress or anything like that with the multi-platform stuff it has to deliver on two different things doesn't it it has to be yes it needs to tell a story of some description but you also need it to work without that person having to dive into every single bit of it as well, if that makes Mm. sense. So it needs to be, it needs to have enough substance that it's a good story, but I don't want to have to spend a hundred pounds across books and video games and everything (laughs) to actually get what's going on. If I only want to buy the book and watch the YouTube channel and possibly some big finish, then I also need to get what's going on and enjoy that. So it just needs to, to land on two two platforms not just one so that's really tricky to nail that i think so uh, yeah i don't have a problem with it at all if it's done right and it's you know it's enjoyable then crack on but yeah it's just a lot of a lot of pressure and you also drift into the danger of um of fans getting a bit sort of fed up with sections being missing from the narrative mm-hmm. and it being spoilt for somebody so yeah. if somebody if somebody watches the opening thing on iPlayer, but they don't pick up the magazine, they don't pick up the comic, but they do pick up the video game, for example, mm-hmm. but then they go on Twitter and everyone else has picked up the book that they didn't read yeah. and the other BBC audio that they didn't pick up and they just spoil everything. It's like, oh, I was getting to that because that's like mm. hour 18 out of 24. I was getting to that bit. I was just doing this bit first. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's all a bit, I don't know. It can work. I think it just needs to be written and managed well. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get you. Uh, and I think you need to be invested in the character. And I think that's the problem when I say that this, if this was supposed to inspire me to get invested in a character, that I'm going to pre-order a £30 box set and then some Titan Comics have just been announced today, I believe, and, and everything else and spend all this money. It's got to be a good character. And this get, comes back to what I was saying before, that I don't know Suze Kempner. So maybe if I did... I would see her and think, oh my gosh, it's Suze Kempner. Oh, I love what she does. I love her style. Oh, she's going to be brilliant. But because I don't know her, I can only go off the back of that trailer. <laughs> you know, I can only judge the character from that. And and, and if anything, I found that trailer a massive, massive uh, turnoff. I just thought, God, no, I can't imagine. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying I need to, need to see more. I need to see some artwork for the comics, which may be good. I need to get invested in the character. But right now... Mm, afraid not indeedy yeah we'll we'll see dude we'll see what happens with that we will see yeah we will right moving on uh the mothball (laughs) could be back according to the mirror um apparently he's been approached to write a story for shooter's doctor 
uh, presumably in Shooter's first series. I don't know. But either way, it seems that RTD has apparently approached Stephen Moffat to come back. A source, we don't know who this source is, a source has said, Russell's on a mission to make Doctor Who great again. Some would say it, it is anyway, but we, you know... Event television, <laughs> not to be missed, is what Russell's after, which is what, for many years during his and Stephen's tenures in charge of the show, it was. Now, don't shoot me. This is the source saying this. Uh, so one of the ways he could do that is to ensure he has the best possible people writing for the program, the source says. And it would seem that that includes Stephen Moffat. Now, I don't think this has been confirmed by the BBC yet, but it does seem to be strongly... <laughs> uh, hitting the headlines and I can see it being true. I really can. I, I think Stephen and Russell do seem quite close as friends. Um, they've done a lot of events and stuff together. And I, I can imagine Stephen being approached to write a story for shooty. And you know what? I'm all for it. I've seen a few people being very negative about Stephen coming back and, and uh, I'm not going to go down that road, but for me personally, I think Stephen, created some great stuff he he's a great creative writer he didn't always hit the mark and he will admit that himself and he has done in many interviews he's quite capable of um taking criticism and admitting when he didn't get it right but i think when he did get it right he was great and i think um a lot of people would agree that when he wasn't showrun showrunner when he wasn't under that pressure some of his best stories came out during the rtd era before like the empty child and, uh, and the Silence yeah. of the Library, some great stuff from from uh, Stephen. So I'm very happy if he's coming back, and I think it would be brilliant, actually, for him to come and do another episode or two. I would, I would welcome him back with open arms in the show, to be quite honest. Maybe just one or two stories, whatever. But, yeah, I would be very happy to see the mothball drift back in with his bottle of red wine, sit back at the writing table yeah. Uh, yeah. under Russell's guidance. Because I think the two of them are... I think they balance each other out really, really well, Russell and Stephen. So like they both have strengths um, and they both have weaknesses. But I think when you put those two in a room together, I think you've got a really good combination there. So yeah, I'm all for it. I'm pretty sure you must be as well. I know you love the mothball. Yeah. We love well, the mothball, don't we? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And uh, I, this is come from <laughs> the, uh, this has come from the mirror, which is one of the, um, which is one of the tabloid papers here in the UK. And they're a bit hit and miss the mirror. Sometimes they do mm. this thing where it's like, oh, we've got this amazing source within the BBC or within Bad Wolf, whatever. And this is the, this is a thing that's coming. And sometimes it does pan out. It's all good. Other times it doesn't. Now, mm. I, as a, just to let this kind of, uh, um, when we were doing a round table last night, we got onto this story. One of the, um, one of our writers that was on Mark, I said a very similar thing in our in the opening bit to introduce this story about the mirror and supposed sources and all that stuff. And he turned around and said, uh, I can't really divulge too much, but this is happening. Oh, okay. So um thank you very much to our to our writer Mark. Wherever he's got that information from, we don't want to know. And he has gone missing since he said that. So That's true. He has gone radio silent since that. <laughs> yeah, he's that. gone undercover. So underground. wherever you got that from, Mark, fair play. We don't want to know. <laughs> Anyways, so this is happening. And I'm all for it, dude. Exactly yeah. for the reason that you just said. Before he was showrunner and he was just, it just brought on to write some Doctor Who, some of his stories were absolutely banging. 
really, yeah, really good. Definitely. So I think and hope, fingers crossed, that the same magic will apply. Uh, you know, coming back without the pressure of being showrunner and can just focus on writing a real good solid story or two or three I'd, however many stories he's going to come on and write i'm not sure mm. but i think this is brilliant news dude i, th- I think um his although we're saying that some of his stories weren't as good when he was showrunner versus when he was just uh, a writer mm. um but even so his when he oversaw doctor who for the most part it was some of the best doctor who since it's been back in 2005 so yeah and uh, the good thing about the Moff as well is he's in that similar camp to Russell and uh, supposedly Chris Chibnall, where it's he's a lifelong fan who um, who just gets it. You know, he's probably seen every single classic story multiple times, gets everything, knows how the machine works, and because he's been showrunner before and he's written for the show before and he's written loads of very cool things since leaving doctor who he's only grown hasn't he and matured as a writer and stuff like that so mm. uh, and on top of that as a as a nice little bonus which would be a very cool for russell is that because he knows how the system works um when he's writing these stories he, he'll already know in his head right i'm going to write this story and when i get to this bit I know for a fact that that's going to be visual effect heavy, that bit. That's going yeah. to be set heavy. And he can sort of mould it into a way that's not going to blow the budget out of the bloody sky. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah, he knows how it works. Yeah. So I think this is awesome, dude. I think this is a, a very cool thing. Yeah. And it's weird because I'm, I would be... I always felt like the moth might come back, you know. I just always felt like because he does love the show so much. And I think the pressure of being showrunner got to him. I think, you know, he said that it was... The, the time constraints of getting s- scripts r- done, you know, it's a lot of pressure, but I think when that's taken off his shoulders and he's just asked to write something and, you know, obviously there's still deadlines and things. Um, but I, I always felt like he might want to come back. I wasn't expecting it quite this soon, but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm less surprised if he comes back than I am that Russell came back. Do you know what I mean, I, cause Russell said so many times he would never come back. I think he could have knocked me down with a feather when we found out he, he actually was. But Mothball, I always felt like he might want to just drift back in the universe. I think he just loves it. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. He, he has got that. He, like we said loads of times, whenever we've, whenever we've met him at the BFI or he's been interviewed, he never ever sounds like he's he's bored with the world of Doctor Who or anything. That's he's such right. a great ambassador for it and stuff. So yeah, yes, good news, good news indeedy. And we'll keep you updated on that. Obviously, the BBC still haven't officially said. Yes, the moth bag's coming back, or Russell hasn't mentioned anything, but uh, we'll we'll let you know when that's the case. Last story, then, mm-hmm. is the subject of Doctor Who spinoffs. So, Russell has mentioned this and has leaned into this a little bit mm-hmm. with some of the interviews that he's done over the last, I don't know, six months or so. And he's been asked about it a lot. So, are there going to be future Doctor Who spinoffs? Like we used to get in the old days with Sarah Jane and and uh, and Torchwood, etc. Class, obviously. Can't leave out class. Come on. <laughs> I always forget about class. Come I on. genuinely do. Come on. I know. And we think we're getting closer to the first <laughs> to the first confirmation of the official spin-off. And apparently it's going to be a unit spin-off. It's going to focus on units and it's going to star Gemma Redgrave. Mm. Spelt with a J, not a G. As I did earlier. 
And uh, <laughs> I'm not too sure on this one, buddy, if I'm being honest with you. No. I don't get me wrong. I love the I love the idea of of now we're getting into the uh, the nuts and bolts of of uh, nailing down what spin-offs are going to happen and and what they're going to focus on etc. I'm just not sure that units has got enough substance in it these days to warrant a spin-off. And what I mean by that is if we think back to how unit was represented in classic Doctor Who, it was in um a fairly it was in a fair amount of stories and some of them were quite big stories and they were integral to the story um and alongside that there were there were just characters that um really made a name for themselves because they were written in such a way that they had some decent screen time but also the people playing them really embodied those characters and just made them classic and timeless like nick courtney you know and you know john levine etc if we fast forward to 2005 onwards there has been the odd unit story but they're immediately forgettable forgettable yeah. stories you know what i mean there's been nobody yeah. other than Leth, um kate lethbridge stewart other than her there hasn't really been anybody that's you could argue was good i guess to a degree but there hasn't really been that sort of don't know just memorable character and just aside from that there just hasn't been enough unit substance really to build on i don't feel so maybe this is an excuse to do that maybe this is like a foreshadowing to we are going to have some big unit stuff coming down the road in the main show at some point maybe series 15 16 whatever that might be and now this is a nice little way to sort of build up the interest and build up that foundation for unit again so when it does come back properly in the main show we can be like oh yeah jump at that in the unit spin-off oh yeah mm. kate Kate mentioned that, didn't she, in the spin-off, and now it's all kind of coming together nicely and linking together. So mm. at face value, I don't think this didn't kind of knock my socks off. I didn't think like, oh, this is going to be amazing as the first spin-off. But it could be it could be a cool little piece of the puzzle. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit conflicted on this because I it doesn't really excite me, if I'm honest. I think because Kate Stewart, I don't really see her as a leading character. I find her a bit bland, to be honest. I think she works okay in the series but I just don't know about her being like a lead character in the spin-off. It depends how it's done. And I like what you've just said, you know, if you tie it in with tiny little bits um, that connect the shows that if you miss them, it doesn't matter. But if you spot them, you appreciate, you know, the connection. I think that that's great. I love that. And I love it in Sarah Jane, when we pick up on little things that we connect to the, to the main series, so if they do that, and I think if they make it dark and slightly more serious. So maybe going along the sort of Torchwood lines, maybe they don't need to throw in loads of swearing or gore or adult content, but just make it more of a sort of slightly adult show. I think that could work quite well as a Torchwood spin-off. And I think it would be nice if they are going to do it. It would be lovely to sort of see, uh, to see Ace and Tegan perhaps popping up in one episode, like they did in Sarah Jane, <laughs> when they would bring in like Joe Grant and, mm. um, or Joe Jones as she is now. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? If they if you do a unit spin-off, just to keep because I don't know if it's got enough legs to to carry itself. I think you're gonna have to try and throw in some classic companions like Tegan and Ace, maybe. And dare I say it, Bambera. Um, and I say that in all seriousness. I would I'd just love it if um they brought back Bambera from you remember from Battlefield, the the uh 
the Brigging Battlefield. So, yes, you know, that would be a nice little mm-hmm. callback to the classic series. So I think it can work. I just think they've got to get it right. And, and the reason I say I'm conflicted is because on paper, it it doesn't excite me as much as I feel like it should, I suppose. But I'm, I'm all here for it. I'd, I'd love to see what they can do with it. But I feel like it's one of those that they'll either get it right or it will just sort of die a death after one series. But yeah, I'm here for it if they go for it. You're you're down for it, mate. I'm down for it. Yeah, I'm down for it. I'm not I'm not Kate Stewart's biggest fan as a character, but I'm, I'll I'll go with it. Yeah, I'll read you. I'll read you. <laughs> um, so the the rumours for this actually kicked off not directly, although Russell's been interviewed about it and has been quizzed on spinoffs, etc. Yeah, um, it's from. Um, it came from writer Phil Ford, who um, who was one a of the tortured writer. writers. Yeah, so yeah, um, he basically said, "Look, uh, we need a, we need spinoffs back for Doctor Who, and now that Russell's mm. back in charge, let's uh, let's get cracking on on doing spinoffs and stuff like that." And he said in an interview, um, "This is Phil Ford, not Russell." Said, uh, uh, "I think there's every case for bringing back a version of Tortured, but the thing about Doctor Who is the universe is so huge overall, and all these years, so over sixty years." There's so many places you could go to to develop spin-offs, but I honestly have no idea what is going on in that great man's mind. He's referring to Russell, so yeah. we'll have to find out. But he did say that he's always wanted to see more stuff done with Unit, and he thinks I've always. Uh, he said I've always thought there's stuff we could do with Unit there, and he means a spin-off specifically. So yeah, okay. Based on that interview, and based on like I said, all the times that Russell's been quizzed on it recently, yeah, I think there's no smoke without fire. In this case, I think there is something bubbling away. So as before with the other thing with the moth bag, there's been no official anything from Russell or Bad Wolf or the BBC to say, yep, the unit thing's happening. This is just a very well-educated guess from from the Who, from the Who community. So I, c- I can see. totally see it happening. And like you said, not confirmed, but I can see this happening. Of course, the biggest uh, spin-off that somebody mentioned last night while we were recording is Danny Dyer back as Glitz. <laughs> Bring Glitz back and Danny Dyer could play that character. <laughs> Fairly convincingly, I think. Oh gosh. There's a, th- there's a thought. Yeah. Poor old Tony Selby. I'm not sure what he'd make of that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Who would play Dibber? That long lost cat. What happened to Dibber? Did Glitz ever explain? <laughs> um, no, he did. Oh yeah, he did. It was in a big finish, wasn't it? Um, Oh, was it? I don't think know. so. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. There we go. There we go. But anyway, <laughs> that's the news. So it's been good to actually talk about some stuff that's uh, some news potentially happening away. And we don't typically do like we we don't normally do rumours and stuff like that. And these are mm. not confirmed stuff yet. But having you know, what's the best way to phrase it? We've been in the game long enough to know that these are probably things that around the corner are going to be a thing that's going to happen officially so yeah it's all good all yes, good stuff all righty let's fly straight into the review then dude what have we got this week indeed so pertwee episode or pertwee story i should say this week big old six beefy six parter as you said earlier it's colony in space hello main dome can you hear me our dome is being attacked Two people are dead, and I want you to know. You may care to look at this report. I want to know. Look at it! The exploitation of this planet can make us both rich. If we get rid of the colonists. 
This is our world. You've no right to be here. Look, we've as much right to be here as anybody else. My corporation has been assigned the mineral rights on this planet. Even if it means turning this planet into a slag heap. That's good for IMC. It's good for Earth. Earth or your corporation's profits? Scaring people is one thing. Murder. Say where you are. Get out of my way. I remind you that I am captain of this ship and we are on an alien planet. If you strike me, I can have you executed without trial. It's the master. We're not going to start a war. Take your mind! I've been chained to a bomb, hunted and shot at. As far as I'm concerned, the war's already started. You will soon see the most powerful weapon ever created. How are we going to get out of here? Get off this planet. I'll send a fleet to wipe you out. If you don't help us, we're all going to die. Look out! You intend to hold the universe to ransom. This planet of yours could be the center of a mighty empire. I will not join you in your absurd dreams of a galactic conquest. Then die! good well then got a bit tasty at the end there didn't it did yeah when the master turns up that's right potentially the most random appearance (laughs) not even a big reveal just turns up at the end of a desk yeah (laughs) well you have to look twice don't you hang on is that (laughs) yeah pretty strange i thought yeah i did i actually wondered if i'd missed it malcolm are we going to build this up a little bit for the master coming in probably not all right then he's just going to appear is he oh yeah all right fair enough we'll go with that sorry malcolm as you were so colony in space it was first it's a six-parter as adam said and it was first released on the 10th of april 1971 and finished up on the 15th of may it was written by malcolm hulk directed by michael bryant overseen by terence dix and stars john pertwee as the third doctor katie manning as joe grant's uh nick courtney as a cameo and then roger delgado as the master and then about 55 people (laughs) in the supporting cast and the synopsis is thus the time lords discover that the master has stolen their secret file on the doomsday weapon i just want to say i think it's hilarious that the time lords have got a filing cabinet i know yeah (laughs) No big mystical hard drive somewhere that's based on Time Lord tech that's impossible to get into. No end-to-end encryption going on. No algorithms. It's just a folder in a in a filing cabinet somewhere. Anyway, <laughs> they grant the Doctor a temporary reprieve from his exile on Earth to deal with the crisis. He and Joe arrive on the planet... Oh, dear. What? Uxarius? Uxarius? Oh. I think it's Uxarius. Something like that. Yeah, Uxarius. And become enmeshed. That's a lovely word. And become mm. enmeshed in a struggle between an agrarian colony and a powerful mining corporation. There's too many words in that sense. Well, I'm forgetting through that. Yeah. yeah. Rightio, dude. Colony in mm. space. I remember this was another one that we booted around the schedule for a little while because you were yeah. like, I'm just not doing it, Gary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm pretty sure the last time I watched this, I didn't make it through to the end. Uh, um, although I will have watched it all the way through at some point. Um, it actually wasn't as bad as I remembered. In all honesty, I, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a stone cold classic, um, and it's certainly a plodder 
for sure. <laughs> uh, it does plod along. Um, very repetitive as well. Uh, just another casualty of being a six-parter. But it wasn't bad, actually. I think perhaps sometimes I get this and the mutants blur into one in my mind because I think it's just because in the mutants they also wear like these black outfits with these helmets and I think that's the one that I've really struggled to get through from memory um so yeah it it wasn't too bad this one actually it's got a bit more to it than I thought the actual overall storyline between these two sort of fighting fractions on the planet and and the reveal of the other inhabitants of the planet throughout the story sort of kept me going um it's funny because the reveal of the master just popping up casually in it's episode four or five is quite near the end, isn't five, it? Five, I think. Five, yeah. yeah it's very random. Um, <laughs> and it has no impact at all because I suppose you're just like, oh, of course. I mean, the master was just so prominent in the Pertwee era that you just, you're surprised if he doesn't turn up. But you're right, there's no big reveal or anything. And I genuinely thought perhaps I dozed off and missed the scene when he walk through the door or whatever because he's literally yeah. just already in a scene um <laughs> so yeah it's uh i would say it, it's it's decent it's it's not bad i wouldn't put it i wouldn't put it in the same category as like underworld or uh the mutants for example i don't think it's down there as one of those really hard slogs but it's also not up there with any of the greats i think i'm a little bit on the fence with this one in which i know you hate but it is just very middle of the road, but I don't think it's bad middle of the road. I think it's the right side of the road, if you like. it. The performances are fairly good from the cast. I feel Pertwee's a bit flat in it, if I'm honest. Um, he's good, but he's not, it's not a standout Pertwee. And actually, mm. just to sum up, I think that's probably what's missing from this story, because it's not bad. But what is missing is there's no real sort of standout moments in it. So gotcha. I think that's yep. what it is. You know, I think there's one nice bit with the brig, isn't there, where he says, Doctor, come back here at once. And there's a nice little bit at the end where he says it again and they turn up and it's they've only left like five seconds ago. So there's that little nice moment, but there isn't much else in it. I think that's perhaps what it's missing. But it's all right. It's not a bad one. Hmm. Just not great. Okay. Just not great. Yeah. Middle of the road. Hmm. Okay. I struggle with this one, mate. Yeah. I can see why. As I said, I think I gave up last time I watched this. Well, I don't mean I struggle with it and it's a bad one. Oh. I mean, I struggle with it as in, I'm not sure if it's my guilty pleasure. Oh, really? My guilty pleasure for... Interesting. Uh, for, for Pertwee, yeah. Ooh, I like mm. what I'm hearing. I remember the first time I watched it thinking, that was all right, but wasn't... I'm not going to reach for that one. If I'm in the mood for some Pertwee. Mm. When I watched it again this week, and I watched, I, I did this two and four. So I watched two of them on on Tuesday. And then last night I watched the remaining four. Mm. And I remember thinking last night, this is really good. Like there was a few spots in it where I just thought, this is really good. And it's kind of playing out like um, like this really cool kind of world war two um sort of attack and defend sort of story because the the weapons that the uh that the colonists use and stuff and the the imc they're all based on like they look like these sort of world war two machine guns and stuff like that so it had this almost like uh 
like World War Two kind of westerny sort of feel. I don't know. It, mm. didn't, it had it had this there really nice a lot of shootout. Yeah, it had this really nice sort of classic, not classic as in classic Doctor Who, but just classic television, old mm. sort of military style thing, which is really good. And some of the performances were really good. Like not all of them, but a couple of them were really good. And you could tell that a couple of the supporting cast members were really into it. And it was very cool. The only thing that lets it down, and you were 100% correct, dude, and I wish this was better as well, was John Pertwee just didn't seem like he was into it all the way through. There was a couple of moments where you could tell he was having a good time with it. and mm. But I don't know, in the middle bit, you could you could just tell that he was just, just dipping a little bit. And mm. even he was probably thinking, crikey, this is six parts, isn't it? <laughs> but I, other than that, I didn't mind it, dude. Mm. That, that, it, it, yeah, but I'm I'm struggling. The reason why I struggle with it is because part of me thinks, and like you, we shouldn't, we hate being on the fence, don't we? We hate this mm-hmm. kind of indifference to stories. But part of me thinks it's just a real plodder. It's a plodder with padding and some other bits going on. And before you know it, you know, you're falling asleep midway through episode four and you think, come on, get it together. The other side of me thinks, but it's got some great bits in it though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got some really cool, some really cool bits that before we get onto a couple of the good bits, um, just get some negatives out of the way early for me. The first one is there's, there's no build up to the master's appearance and entrance into the story. It, it could have been billed as this very cool, um, sort of undercover story for the master we could have had the setup a lot quicker so at the very beginning the the time lords are even talking about releasing the doctor from his exile to go and sort this thing out they could have intersected that with the master sneaking around getting the file from the filing cabinet <laughs> and doing that stuff and then it's like oh when's the master gonna pop back up because he's clearly the the the, the uh, you know the baddie in the story yeah but he just randomly appears that in itself is not terrible, but it's just a little bit like, oh, the master's here. Oh, okay. So they could have, you know, built that up a little bit more. And the second thing is the primitives. They seemed like this, like I could see what they were trying to do with, okay, there are essentially two human factions on the planet. You've got the colonists that have been there for ages, but they're, because of the radiation from this secret weapon that the master wants, it's sort of wiping out all their crops. They're really struggling to maintain the base there. And then the IMC turn up because it's been discovered that there's this really rich um, uh, substance on the planet that can be mined. And they're there to sort of assess whether they should send the colonists home and get all the, you know, all this stuff mined and stuff. And they sort of clash, don't they? You've got these guys that are out for the money and the bonus from all this stuff that can be mined. You've got the colonists that have put all their life savings to get in there and to get there and get all that stuff done. I, I'm on board with that stuff. What I'm, what I struggle with, is the is the primitives, the dude in the weird, you know, the guys in the weird green things, and then you've got these strange little creatures in the, uh, you know, yeah. the guardians. They you got the yeah. guardian. It's like a little baby can't body. See very well. Yeah, the little baby yeah. body, but with a human head that's coming through the thing and that's stuff. Weird. Yeah. So that was a little bit out there. You could, mm. you know, you could tell a mile off that that was an inclusion of people making that show, maybe partaking in something that, you know, made their mind a little bit trippy. Mm. 
Yeah. This is the seventies after all. So you could tell that was a little bit on the weird side. It's like, let's make mm-hmm. this all spacey, cosmic-y. Because even when those things come on, there's like these weird sound effects. And oh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's all a bit trippy and a bit weird, that bit. So other than those two negatives, dude, it's a bit filler, a bit ploddy, but I do enjoy it. I think this is my Pertwee guilty pleasure. No, that's that's really interesting, actually. And I, it's funny because it's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is it... When I watch an episode, I do make myself watch it. So I think this is one of those stories. If I was just putting it on because I hadn't watched it for a while, and this is probably what happened last time, if it doesn't grab my attention and the phone comes out or whatever, or go make a cup of tea and then I come back, because I'm making notes and watching it properly, I, I did find myself getting into it and thinking there is this is better than its reputation, you know, and it's better than I remembered it. So I agree with you. It's, it's it, not to be on the fence. It's it, it's not going to set the world alight. It won't be one that I reach for that often. But I think I would, well, I, I would happily sit through and watch this again. It's definitely got enough to it to um, to warrant, you know, uh, watching again. Um, the, it's funny because I was about to say to you, you know, the marsh people you're talking about, I'm sure there was a bit where <laughs> one was on a rock doing like a sand person. And I've just yeah. realised this is actually pre- this would have been before the sand people. So yeah, I was yeah. about to accuse Doctor Who of ripping that off, but actually... Six years prior. Did you spot yeah. that? There is a scene. I'm not... There's not two of them. It. There's two of them up There's on the top of There's one bit where they the, do that, isn't there? With the, yeah. like, on the Looks rock. like the, the gaffy sticks that the sand people use. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah, I picked up on that. I think yeah. the thing is, it is, it is a shame that... Per, it's not that Pert was bad in it by any means. He's still great, but it does feel... When people say phoning in a performance or just going through the motions. I think there is a lot of that. I feel like in this, or maybe it's just that he's just comfortable. I don't know. There's no real standout. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on. (laughs) So credit, credit for that. Um, But I think that, you know, I suppose him and Katie split up quite a lot as well, aren't they in it? Because I do miss, you know, there's no sort of real touching moments is there between the two. He gets a bit cross of her when they break into the master's TARDIS and she clumsily sets off the beam, (laughs) you know, Uh, and the filing cabinets in the master's TARDIS are just hilarious. What a mess of a TARDIS that is. It's as if they brought in every bit of like, (laughs) oh, have we still got that old roundel printed bit of card (laughs) wall that we could bring in (laughs) and let's put some cabinets down there. And then it looks like a a piece uh, out of, uh, they've stuck together a load of um, Easter egg boxes to make up yeah. another wall and yep. yeah it's a real mishmash that TARDIS uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to say um, yeah, yeah it is yeah but it's better than its reputation that's for sure yeah it's not bad is it I think the performances like you said are fairly good from from the cast for the, and it is a big cast let's face it it's a big cast yeah, yeah. Um, I thought can we go straight to Katie Manning first we normally do yeah. companions and Doctor Last but yeah. I thought that Katie Manning was really good you know in yeah. this one not just because she's great as Joe, but I thought it was a really cool turning point for her character because up to this point, she's never quite believed, I guess, when the Doctor's spoken about exploring the galaxy, exploring time, mm. exploring the universe even. I think there's been an element of, no, I don't know, like before she's been able to see that stuff with her own eyes, she's always just maybe brushed that off a little bit because all of their adventures have always been around units on Earth and, and doing mm. that stuff. So when she goes into the TARDIS for the first time and she sees how 
you know the the cliche they go into it's bigger on the inside and all that stuff yeah you can tell that she's she's genuinely she's marveling at everything that she's seeing and then it very quickly gets taken over by worry and panic because the doctor's like well the tardis is taken off i'm not really sure what's going on i don't know where we are and you can tell that she's like oh crap you were telling the truth and now we're wherever we are i have no clue what's going on and i think it's because for that very reason that you can kind of forgive her a little bit you know when she trips the thing in the the master's tardis yeah this is all really new to her right so this is Mm. all very much her first um off-planet adventure i guess you'd say and the way that she interacts with people she's got that real love you know how just lovely she is as the Mm. as joe and when she meets up with gail porter Oh, yeah. You know, and... <laughs> from Corrie. From Corrie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's her character name? Uh, Mary. When she meets up with Mary, there's somebody there who's like similar age and she can get on with. And uh, But she also really fights the Doctor's corner. You know, when the Doctor goes off and is captured by the IMC and mm. or goes to see the primitives, Joe's like constantly pushing, like, you said you'd go and search for the Doctor. It's been a long time. He can help you repair this thing and he can help you with that. And... Uh, and Ash, who's like the leader of the of the colonists, he loses rag a little bit and she fights yeah. back a little bit. She doesn't So there's lots of things that she does within this episode that I really like doing. So she was a standout for me. Although she had nothing huge to do, I just really liked her sort of getting to grips with everything that she's seeing mm. for the first time. And yeah, I really liked uh Katie Manning in this one. Yeah, she's solid and it's funny, isn't it? Because when we the more you watch of the Pertwee era with Katie, you do realise there is quite a good. She do, her character does have quite a a good little bit of um, a growth arc, if you like. She does mature, I think, and become get more sort of stuck in and get more to do as the stories go on. And um, she's always very good, I think, Katie. I can't think of any story where I feel like she's not just giving a hundred percent. She she is a great um, companion, and Katie plays her very well. And it's it's funny because there was one scene where or two scenes actually where Kate uh, Joe, I, I mean, is horrified by the appearance of the little blind, <laughs> the guardian, alien. she, the guardian, yeah. she screams when she first sees him <laughs> as if, he, as if he's horrific, you know, and at this point we, you know, there's no reason to believe he's b- bad. Um, so I felt a little bit sorry for the, the guardian at that point, because imagine someone seeing your face for the first time and reacting like that, you know, and she does it again later. Um, and I feel that's just something that's in the script that maybe they should have perhaps toned down because it obviously his face isn't that horrific. I don't think it warrants that reaction from Joe. And as I said, she does do it twice. Um, there's sort of no need for it, but maybe you're right because it's her first sort of proper trip in the TARDIS, you know, maybe it just freaked her out a little But I don't know. It seemed a little out of place to me, but that's more down to the, the writing, if you like, um, because I don't think Joe would be that insensitive to just scream at someone's <laughs> appearance, you know, and bless them. They're quite sweet, the Guardians, aren't they? I mean, they potter around, feeling their way around because their eyesight isn't very good. Um, and then you've got the one in the chair, which is bizarrely being operated from the, the puppet is being operated through the chair, which is really weird. I yeah. don't quite know yeah. what the design is. But anyway, back to Katie. Yes, <laughs> very, very nice. She does get some nice moments in it. Um, and she is, as as always, just 
beautifully played by Katie, yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah, I agree. What did you think to the story? The, the, we've outlined the, the crux of the matter, which is the two different um, groups of humans on this planet. Mm. And um, there was a cool little... Uh, uh, a little undercover element as well, wasn't there? There was um, one of the one of the characters that they pick up, who supposedly is from another colony, and he was, you know, they rescued him and and he's there, but he's actually an undercover agent with the IMC. It was the guy, um, uh, what was his name? He had like a big bushy beard, and basically he had like a little communicator. And oh, he was yeah. reporting back to the IMC whenever. Oh, him. The, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, I don't know what his name is. What's his name? Is it Winson? I think it was Winson. I tried hard to keep track of their names in this, but God, it was hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> there, is, there is such a big cast in it. Um, he was cool, though. I'm um, looking at the list of cast members now. Yeah, know. because he was one of those. Again, he was one of the. And there was about three supporting characters in this that really went for it. And he yeah. was really cool because. He he played the kind of rescued, hard done by colonist who was close to death, but you know he's kind of got that. Uh, he puts on a bit of a fake thing, doesn't he? Where um, one of the primitives is in the office and supposedly helping one of the the engineers, yeah. and he freaks out. He's like, "Oh, they're dangerous! They'll kill you!" Sort of thing. So he's he's playing like the scared. Uh, sort of human really well but then there's something about his performance that you think you want to dislike his character he Mm. plays that sort of i don't know that sort of underhanded sneakiness really well and it's not until you see him um on the little communicator back to the imc where he's like by the way there are two colonists you know in the ship you know and they're able to apprehend them i think it's joe and somebody else yeah, that's right. So yeah, it's uh, that was a really cool little thing um, to plant in the story. I thought. Yeah, that's right. You do you do sort of wonder about him. I don't know what it is because they don't really give anything away, do they, to begin with? But you just get this inkling. I think with that, that character. But yeah, it was nice, nice, nice little uh, not twist, but nice little element to sort of um, progress the story on to keep it interesting. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about. Let's talk about the colonists first, then. So we've got these group of people that are there to um, just make a go of it, essentially. So we're very far ahead in Earth's future at this point. So Earth is still um, doing its thing, but it's kind of governing other planets as well. So quite a few times throughout the story, you'll hear them mention something like, this goes against the law of you know Earth government and stuff like that. So the colonists are there to... You know, there's obviously something going on on Earth, but they want to, um, you know, they want to make it for themselves. You know, it's an outpost for colonists, you know, and they're, they're essentially just making a life for themselves as farmers, basically. They're not to, they're not there to do anything crazy. Mm. And um, and for the most part, you can tell that, you know, they're a pretty chill, laid back bunch of people. They're just really struggling. They can't figure out why all of their crops are constantly dying and they're on rations and stuff. And you can tell that time is essentially running out for them. So that's a, that was a pretty cool, sweet uh, part of the story. Um, and that was headed up by a guy called Ash, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was played by um, John Ringham. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we know John Ringham from, from a few things. I mean, he was in quite a, quite a few bits of TV throughout the eighties and stuff. 
He does look familiar, yeah. I yeah. couldn't think where I knew him from. But Yeah, mainly Just Good Friends and some other bits and oh, pieces. Yes. And oh, God, Just Good Friends. Yeah. yeah, some other bits. He was in the Aztecs as well. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, but yes, so he was a, a very cool sort of leader figure, I thought. Yes. But it had that very cool little undertone of him being challenged, though. His word wasn't always gospel whenever he said anything it was always challenged by a couple of people and mm. he had to sort of slap them down a little bit and remind them like, you know, I'm in charge for the time being. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, he was, um, he was a cool character. I thought he played that really well. And the ultimate sacrifice at the end. Of course. Yeah. 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 No, he was good. And I, I, I'm trying to think who's the guy who does survive. Well, I know, does he get blown up on the ship? The sort of slightly more fair haired guy with the moustache, that also has quite a pivotal role in this because they have yeah. a bit of friction, those two. And I, I couldn't catch his name throughout the whole story, but he, um, do you know the guy I mean? Cause him and Ash often have a little bit, like you said, questions his authority a little bit and, you know, but I, I couldn't catch the character's name in this, but he was very good as well. And I thought those two worked very well together. Yes. I know the guy you mean. So he's the guy that is, he, he always wants to fight the IMC. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Ash is a little bit more like, well, the law's the law sort of thing. There's nothing mm, much we can do passive, yeah. from a legal perspective. Whereas, the yeah, the guy that you're talking about, what's his bloody character? Well, I, I don't know because I tried to, because I know we're always bad with names and I tried very hard to, to, to pick out his name while I was watching it, but I never caught it. Because um, Ash stuck in my mind because the doctor says it a lot, doesn't he? Ash, yeah. Ash, he's sort of always bellowing it. But I didn't catch the other guy's name, and he he gets some nice scenes with Katie as well. Um, I mean, the listeners know who we're talking about. He's basically the sort of other main cast member on that team, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's the guy that leads the the attack essentially a couple of times yeah. um, on the uh, on the IMC dudes. That's it. Um, but now he's very cool. I'm trying to just find his his character name so I can also get his actor's credit correct. Um, uh, where is it? But yeah, so let's talk about that guy actually, because he was um, he was pivotal in the story because not only does he lead the colonists to fight back a little bit, he doesn't just want to mm. be walked over and like, well, that's that's the decision, I guess. We'll just have to just lay back and take it. He's like, no, 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 we've, you know, we've we're, we're here to sort of do what we we're here to do. I think Ash does kind of do that to begin with mm. he's like we spent all of our savings to get here we have to make this work right. yeah you know we have to do it and he's he, he is up for it to begin with but he he sort of goes back a little bit and, and just takes it but who's that bloody guy <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that that's guy? winding me up now his character's name because he's in it all the way through i know i know um well, yeah. while we all trying to think of that the other character that i knew and i did make a note of his name was caldwell who's on the other sort of group of the other team the the ones in the, you know the, the the ones in the black suits and red stripy helmets and all that sort of thing um cordwell you know he's the guy that again yeah. just is not i suppose he's sort of like the counterbalance to the character whose name which i remember because he also is not really going along with what he's being told to do mm-hmm. is he so he's the one that when um when uh, one of the guys escapes, he pretends to shoot him. He's like, it's all right, guys, I've got him. And he starts helping the mm. other side. You know, I thought he was a good character. So Cordwell played by Bernard K, I believe. Um, yeah. I thought again, uh, see, this is the thing as we're talking through it, you know, these characters, um, th- they're well played. The cast do a very good job. They do sort of, 
they do well with what they're given because again a bit like if you think back to underworld where we got characters but they just the actors just did not bring them to life you know it's the same with these guys they don't get a lot per se on the script to bring to life but they do bring something to the role and i thought caldwell was a good example of that he's a good character that just gets that he doesn't agree with the morals of dent who's sort of like the main you know he's just a very arrogant boss isn't he He, he's sort of plowing forward with all these plans and saying shoot him kill that and all that sort of thing and i love the fact that caldwell stands up to him so a bit like with ash and the other character they mirror each other quite nicely i think on the two separate teams that they've both got this one character that's willing to just voice their opinion and say well i'm not sure this is right you know it just makes for a a good bit of friction between the characters i think yes no i agree he was a really cool character wasn't he because um he had like a a, 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 his conscience basically took over a little bit yeah even though he was sweetened a little bit so when um when he gets told that you know, if all the uh, duralinium is managed to be, if, if they okay this and then they start mining, he's in for a big bonus. Mm. And um, the the guy that, uh, I think it's Morgan, is it Morgan? Who's the IMC, the leader? Um, yes, I think it is Morgan. Is it Morgan? Yeah. He, he basically says to him, look, um, if you do this, then, uh, no, it's not Morgan, it's Alan. I think it's Alan oh, okay. or Holden. Is it Holden? Holden. <laughs> Oh my god! So no, Morgan is the guy who's like the the second in command. He's quite ruthless, mm-hmm. and he's the guy that sets the machine oh. on the doctor as yes, one of the yes. um, cliffhangers. Uh, who uh, Roy from EastEnders, basically? I was just gonna. I was yeah. just trying to think. I knew he was in EastEnders. Yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so him. So he's uh, he's not the top dude. I think the top dude is Holden. I think played by John Harrington. And he basically says, look, to Cordwell, you're in for a massive bonus. I know you're struggling financially, so just hold your nerve. You know, I'll sort out what needs to be sorted out. Wink, wink. Mm. Everything will be all, all fine. But then he kind of like, he has a, a sort of stroke of guilt, really, because he, although he wants to buy in with this manipulation to get stuff sorted out, he's not okay with people being murdered and killed. Yeah. So, um, so he kind of alleviates that a little bit when Joe and David are captured and then David escapes, you know, and uh, he helps him with that. And later on, Joe sort of flatters her eyes at him a little bit. And yeah, you know, it's definitely a little bit of that. Yeah. Pulls yeah. the heartstrings a bit. He helps her and stuff. Mm. And then he stays, doesn't he? He ends up staying at the very end to, to help them because he's an engineer. He knows how to, uh, to help out of everything. So yeah, I agree with you. He was a really good character. Bernard and, I mean, yeah. there is a lot of characters in this. I mean, I know we're not good with names, but <laughs> even even trying to remember all of the characters, because there is a lot. And the thing is, they all pretty much have something to do. I'd say they're, they're more than just extras. And, you know, each of them plays a part in the story, don't they? You know, even if their role is fairly small compared to some of the people in it, everybody in this does seem to have something to do that affects the story. I think that's the other thing that's better than I remember, because a lot of times you just get extras, you know, you just get a huge cast, but no one actually does a lot. <laughs> Whereas this, they've all got their own little role. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, dude. They play their own part. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to, where is that? I'm sure it's, it must be David, because he's the guy that gets captured with Joe. Mm. They go yeah, off yeah, that's that right. Yeah. 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 So David, he there gets, um, he gets captured off. He goes off with Joe on a mission. They get captured because they get reported on by the mole 
and uh, and then later on he leads the revolution a little bit and uh, but that was one of the characters that when i mentioned earlier that there are some supporting characters in this that really go for it mm. really he was one of those as well yeah and um yeah so he he was very cool what did you think of the little beach buggies? Oh, the they beach get, buggies! They get some very, yeah. good, they get some very funky company music <laughs> as well, don't they? Do, 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 all up very bleepy seventies music to accompany those cool beach buggies. Yeah, they were some cool, good polystyrene they? rocks as well. Get thrown towards the beach buggies, I noticed. Um, but there's yeah. some good little scenes like that, isn't there? I mean, I know they're perhaps a bit dated with the music and the polystyrene rocks and that, but um, it's quite fun seeing them whiz around and. The, Pertwiz, there's one bit where I don't think they speeded up the film where the guy driving it's really put his foot down. <laughs> Pertwiz's hair is freaking massive. It's like, you know, blowing in the wind. I think Pertwiz was having, I don't know, he looks like he's enjoying it, but it looks also looks like quite a, a muddy quarry pit that they've thrown them into. So I don't know. There's a bit where they're having a fight in it, actually, and one of them gets thrown in this really stanky oh, the clay the water clay the, yeah. puddle on the floor and i thought god i bet that was cold and horrible yeah yeah right so i've got his name not david oh, sorry it's not david well david well david webb was the actor that played a character called leeson so leeson yeah. was basically one of the colonists that he's a bit worried about everything so winton is the guy we're talking about who's in it winton, all oh. the way through played by nicholas pennell yes so that's yeah. funny because even now you said it that doesn't ring a bell crazy, <laughs> okay but yeah. but we know the character i know the character you mean that is the person i'm trying to talk about yeah, yeah. we're terrible with the old uh, character names. but yeah winton so he's the guy that stands up to ash a few times and says look yes. um not word for word but essentially says look we're not being walked over we were here first this mm. is you know we colonized this planet this is our thing. We're not going to be pushed around. Certainly not by these idiots. No. And so they go through the tribunal process or the, whatever it might be when the adjudicator turns up, which is the master and yeah. the master votes in favor of the IMC because he just wants them off the planet because his plan is to take over or obtain this massive super weapon that the primitives had developed. They used to be this really advanced race developed this weapon but never used it and so the master's like you know when when he's kidnapped the doctor and holds joe hostage basically says to the doctor look um if we get this super weapon you and i can hold the galaxy to ransom essentially we can mm. rule every planet and it will all be good and the doctor obviously is like you know you're, you're nuts you know I why mean, would you do that yeah uh, so mr delgado then what do you think mm. to his performance? Cause he's great as usual. I would just love to have seen him in it more. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he's a bit like with the other cast, he does great with what he's given. He just isn't given that much. I mean, he gets to do a bit of the old dastardly evil character of Ristics of like, I've put, I'm going to gas them in the TARDIS and I'm going to hold Joe captive, you know, stuff he's done before. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's fine in it. He's great. But I agree with you. I just think maybe there's not enough of of him in it i think maybe they're going for something a bit different because the master does pop up in nearly every story so maybe they were trying to throw the audience off you know balance by putting him in late in the story which is all well and good but yeah i wouldn't say it's a standout story for the master let's put it that way but he he, he is good in the stuff he's in yes you know yeah, delgado is very that. reliable isn't he you know, he's just always great when he's on screen. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, dude. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, and then what about... Um, so we mentioned Gail. <laughs> yeah, she's not in it a lot, is she? Uh, I mean, she's very... Yeah, so Twee. Gail Platt from from Corrie, <laughs> who everyone will know her from if you watch soaps here in the UK. Um, she, uh, Helen Worth, she plays Mary Ash. She's a cute little character in it. She's um she's feisty a couple of times, um, but she's very sweet. She's a lot like um, Joe Grant in a, in a lot of respects. She's very similar mm. in terms of uh, from a character perspective. So she wasn't yeah. too bad, dude. She was alright. No, I mean she's alright. She, again, she just doesn't get a lot to do. I think she gets lost in the story completely, really. But she's nice enough in the little scene she's in. Yeah. Yes. But no, just not very memorable as a character, I'm afraid. Yes. Yes. Um, what did you think of the big robot, by the way, with the claws? Because <laughs> it reminded me a bit of a knockoff war machine, to be honest. Oh, right. Okay. It just reminded me of a big old clumsy <laughs> thing that really you could just walk away from it. You, I mean, you wouldn't even need to run, really, but it does cause a bit of havoc. I mean, it provides a cliffhanger, doesn't it, at one point where the doctor's pulling one of his faces. Not quite the usual Pertwee grim face that we get sometimes when he's in danger, but... Yeah, what did you think to those guys, the big old... Actually, it's just one, isn't it? One yeah. big robot that they attach these funny claws to. <laughs> Not that menacing, really. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does have a war machine feel to bit. it, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah. yeah, so the point of these were to scare the colonists, basically. Not to... The original plan by the IMC was to scare the colonists off the planet, not to kill anybody. Yeah. Which is why Caldwell gets so um, sort of defensive about it as we go through the story um but the uh the 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 guy that um uh that sets these machines on the colonists and people uh the guy uh, character morgan um he that's why he's such an unlikable character because he, he has no he has no issue at all with um with killing colonists and everything no that's right yeah um, he hasn't got a lot of morals yeah so um <laughs> but no I i really did like the um uh, this machine with the claws it's how it, it like looks it? yeah it looks really mm. cheesy and 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 crappy to a degree mm. but um but yeah i i i liked it i think it's got one of those cool kind of i don't know just one of those old school classic um sort of charmy cheapy looking robots yeah yeah i, I like yeah. its big i like its big claw attachments i will admit yeah. <laughs> like there's yeah. a bit where Pertwee just finds him in a cupboard. <laughs> Do you remember? He's like, ah, well, what are these? He just <laughs> gets his big claws out. Yeah. No, I think they, yeah, they're just a typical sort of Doctor Who robot. And I kind of always like that. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how bad they look. Yeah. So bad, they're good. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. Um, what did you think to the the main, the, the main, mm, antagonist would you say apart from the master which is a guy called dent he's the leader dent. of the imc so yeah. very ruthless very much like bending the rules when he sees fit able mm -hmm. to cover stuff up so that their operation doesn't get uh you know uh derailed or anything like that basically after the money they know that if they get get the okay and the clear to get rid of the colonists and start mining then they'll be in for some big bucks and yeah. uh, he's very ruthless with it. So I really liked his performance as well, dude. This is another one uh, played by Morris Perry, mm. who just, it, again, I felt completely bought into the character and um, and just, yeah, really gave a good a good one. Cool as a cucumber when he needs to be. Doesn't freak mm. out or anything. 
um, because the uh, the other dude is second in command, um, Morgan. He does get a bit fiery at times, and he has to rein him in a little bit and just remind him of the master plan, if you like. So, yeah, another good one, dude. Yeah, I liked his performance. By yeah, him. I agree with all yeah. of that. I, I think he's another actor as well that looks familiar. Uh, I feel like I've seen him in other things um, back in this sort of time period. But yes, he did. You can totally see that he's he's got the character down that he know that he's playing doesn't he he just like you said calls a cucumber um kind of just gonna let the other guys do his dirty work for him um and I, yeah very well played um by morris perry did you say the actor no yes yeah 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 no he did i thought he was good very good he didn't go over the top you know he wasn't sort of twiddling his moustache i'm evil captain or whatever he, yeah just calls a cucumber that's a good way of describing him i liked yes. him thought he was good in it yeah yeah cool as a cucumber <laughs> um who else are we going to talk about before we could just very quickly mention um uh, mr pertwee just very quickly um so the the guy who was the um the mole if you like that was the norton guy. norton yeah uh he was good he was played by uh roy skelton that name rings a bell yeah do you know i didn't realize that was roy skelton um so is he the wow? Dalek, is he done like the Dalek operator? Is he, well, he, is he a Dalek guy? Well, I definitely know the name Roy Skelton. Um, he's the guy that did. Um, he voiced Zippy and George on the very famous TV kids show Rainbow from oh, back in the day. Zippy. And uh, yeah, he was also. Um, he voiced several stuff. He's done Croton, uh, Cybermen. Oh, yeah. He's done the lot. So yeah, yeah, he was good. I liked him. He's good, and I yeah, I can't believe I didn't even realise that was Roy Skelton. I didn't either, mate. No. <laughs> didn't recognise him at all. That's yeah, yeah. good. Uh, and then lastly, then Mr. Pertwee himself. I know we've mentioned him a few times already. A little mm. bit flat, perhaps a little bit, not quite firing on all cylinders as he is in a few of the other stories, which is really weird because when we go um, to the next one along in this series, the Damons, he's oh, absolutely yeah. fantastic in that, like yeah. just amazing. So it's weird that potentially might have had a bit of tom baker about him in this one because tom was famous for this wasn't he where mm. oh actually no let's let's use peter davison as a better example yeah peter, it's okay. yeah, yeah peter davison you could tell that when he wasn't quite feeling the story in the script that showed in his performance he was a little bit like oh, a little bit flat so to speak and i think we had a, a touch of that i think on this one yeah i i, I agree with that because i think um I mean, even Pertwee going through the motions, so to say, is still great. But it's just that we know when we see Pertwee absolutely delivering 110% how amazing he is. So I think it's not that he's bad or anything like that. It's just that um, it's not stellar Pertwee. It's just great Pertwee, isn't it? You know, it's just him being good. But when when Pertwee really comes alive, like he does in like the Damons and stuff, he takes it to the next level. Um, and that that could be down to a lot of things. Could be down to him not feeling it. Could be down to the script. Could, yeah, lots of things. But yeah. he's still very good in it. Absolutely, no criticism on him. Just oh, yeah. not peak, yeah. not peak Pertwee. Yeah, definitely. Let's not um, let's not degrade his um, his performance in terms of it's terrible or not no, enjoyable. No. He's still very cool. It's just not quite that sparkle that we've seen, you know, in some of the other stories, especially That's the right. next one, the Damons, which is just. Five rounds rapid. 
Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, actually, might, might as well finish on the brig. Nick Courtney is only in it for 30 seconds. Yeah. So, but it's just a, he, I don't know. He's just like, he's he turned up. He gets a great scene though. <laughs> he's turned up and, uh, and uh, Michael Bright, the director's like, so we've got you for half an hour, Nick. Um, nothing too serious, mate. Just uh, have a laugh with it. And you can tell because he's got a big grin on his face the whole time. Because yeah. <laughs> even he winds the doctor up. He's like, you really think you're going to get this thing going? Whatever, doctor, whatever. And then he, <laughs> the TARDIS dematerializes and he's like, come back here this instant. And he's still smiling and stuff. So a nice little, a nice little one. Yeah. A lovely scene, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It's literally all he's just brought in to do. But it's a lovely scene. It kind of it, it to be honest, this this story needed a little <laughs> moment like that to finish yeah. it. Just because it is a little bit not bland, but you know what I mean. It is it's a lovely moment for it to end on. Let's put it that way. It puts it leaves you with a smile on your face. Um, because the brig's just great, isn't it? You yeah. you mentioned the director there, mate. I've meant to ask you, what did you think of Michael Pratt's direction? Because I think it's not bad actually, considering you know the time it was made. There's a couple of th- bits where he's tried to put the camera on a funny angle to give it a bit of a look, and the quarry's f- quite well filmed for a quarry. And yeah, I think he's tried to inject a little bit of oomph into it. Because this, to be fair, could have been really flat if the performances and the direction were a bit subpar. I, I, I don't think Michael Bryant's done a bad job on this one. I don't think it's too bad, to be I mean, honest with you. it's nothing amazing, but I, don't, no. I think it could have been a lot worse. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Um, it's reasonably static, mm. even when there's a bit of a shootout going on or if there's um, uh, stuff that's happening, like uh, sort of capture and evade and things like that or some action that's going on in the quarry, as you'd expect. Mm. Even then, it's reasonably static, but it's not... Um, it's not that static where it's just one camera plopped in the corner. You know, there are some other bits going on. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't too bad. Yeah. It was all right. It was all right. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention, bud, before we get on to uh, scores? No, I don't think Dudley. so. I felt, Dudley, I mean, I felt like early on the music was a bit intrusive, I thought. It was a bit bleepy and loud. But it does seem to settle down. Or maybe I just got used to it. I don't know. But... um yeah, I think it was all right by the end of it. But I did notice in the first couple of eps, it was a bit, ooh, a bit shrieky. Is it Dudley, is it? Is it Dudley it in is, his electronic yeah. phase? Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, that no, was all right. Not bad, but a little bit intrusive at times. Yeah, I agree, dude. Mm. Yeah, I, I quite liked it. There was a couple of nice little bits. A couple of nice little bits dotted here and there. Mm. It seems to be classic Dudley, though. It's like you have these nice little bits <laughs> just here and there throughout the entire story, but it's mixed in with like these experimental synth sound effects and whatnot. So it's definitely is yeah. a bit experimental. I'll tell you what the other note I've got actually, it was about the master's TARDIS. Cause that, that was weird, wasn't it? it was a, mm. Cause we don't see it from the outside until sort of after we've seen the inside, which is weird, isn't it? So when we do finally see it, it's like this weird rocket, um, not mm. sure that really works, to be <laughs> honest with you. Especially the landing and especially the takeoff. I mean, it's the same with the TARDIS. It's as if when they produce this, they'd forgotten how the TARDIS materializes because it just sort of plonks on the screen. It doesn't do the usual fade in and out. It's just, you get the sound effect, but it just appears. And they do the same thing with the Master's TARDIS, don't they? Where it just disappears. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they true. just cupped into shots. So that's a bit jarring. 
But yeah, it's a bit of an odd choice that. Why is it a rocket? I, I know. I suppose it's blending in, is it? Well, I think but, because he's turned, he's meant to arrive, isn't he? Has this adjudicator oh, of course, from yeah, Earth he's supposed to be the adjudicator, yeah. Until they see the facts, yeah. and they're like, he's an imposter. <laughs> the facts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I. I think. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's why it's a spaceship. I should have got that. Yeah, he's supposed to be the adjudicator. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, no, I have nothing else on my notes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right then. So let's go on to a score then, bud. Let's Alrighty. let's finish this out. I think it's me to go first. Go for it. And I'm going to give this a six out of ten. A six? Yeah. You go higher than that. Well, it, in my eyes, it's not. It's not a seven where I'm thinking, wow, that was a. That was a that was a really good story from Doctor Who. Mm. To me, it was like it's okay. I, I like certain parts of it, and I, I really like some of the characters. But it's just it's just a bit too ploddy for the most part. If you know what I mean, it's um yeah, yeah. you know. So I think this is one of those stories where I know we've said it a million times, and it's very cliched. But I think if I was watching this on a weekly basis on broadcast. It would be amazing because you would. Mm. It would be very cool. So, I don't know to binge it. You know, in three and three or four, whatever. It it just feels very ploddy and is not a great. Um, I don't know. It's a six from me. Maybe a six point five. But I, I'll stick go, with go the six. for a six point five. You reckon? Yeah, because you said you, you. It's a guilty pleasure. Go you on, like in, six point five. What about yeah. you? Well, it's it's weird because. I'd written 6.5, but I felt that was too low because for me, 6.5 means not very good. So I've upped it to a 7 because a 7 to me is middle of the road, decent, but not great. So, But I shouldn't really be higher than you because you enjoyed it. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, yeah, I look at it slightly differently, I think, from mm. that point of view. I view it as a, a, a 6 for me is a, is a, is a good story. But it's it's not middle of the road. It's one up from that. Whereas yeah, I okay. think seven is great. Eight is really really cool. Nine is like Jesus. We're nearly at perfection. And then a ten is like you can't get any better than that. Yeah. So yeah, I read you though, dude. Um, well, it, maybe I'll stick with what I originally wrote then. Six point five. <laughs> is that what you had originally? That's what I had originally, and right. then as we've talked through it, I upped it to a seven. It's just because anything below a seven, I start to think, is bordering on not very good. Hmm. Um, so, but I do think this was good. I do think it was good. I think it's a lot better than its reputation. So, yeah. but well, bung six point five. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's okay, isn't it? <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okie dokie. Um, so a 6.5 ultimately then from both of yeah. us. What did, let's uh, go with that. <laughs> well, let's go with that. And what did our listeners think then? So over on the Twitter, Will Sanger said an incredibly underrated adventure. I really mm. like the idea of the Doctor as a secret agent for the Time Lords. The conflict between the colonists and the Mining Corp is well developed and the progression of the Doctor and Master relationship is great. Mm -hmm. okay, uh, cool. Edward Gillooly says boring and overlong, 6 out of 10. All right. Uh, um, Cliff, any voice work going, says, uh, a pleasant, easy watch, particularly now it no longer looks like a bag of spanners, thanks to the uh, thanks to the Blu-ray restoration. Big Sunday afternoon Western vibe, but in a good way. Fairly sure it's only ignored, usually because of the admittedly much better uh, book. 
late VHS and DVD releases. I oh, okay. Mm. Chippy T says, good if a little over long. The story examines the tensions and fight between those people interested in expanding the human side of the off-earth settling and the business side. Throw in a bit of villainous moustache twiddling from the master <laughs> and you get a very nice story. A seven from me. Seven, okay. And uh, Owen, Dr. Home says, I like this one and people give it a hard time. Fair enough, it's a little too long, but the colonists are a nice bunch. Mind you, first trip in the TARDIS for ages, and we end up on the dullest of quarries in all of Who. <laughs> it is a dull quarry, to but, be fair. Uh, He does give it a 7.5, though. Okay. Yep. Thank you very much to our Twitter peeps for that. Let's move over to Facebook. We had Andrew Stewart says, I thought it was okay. Really nice commentary on colonialism. Colonial, colonialism. John and Katie were really good in this. Also, I wish they didn't ruin the master being in this one on the cover of the DVD. Uh. Uh, uh, I thought Delgado was brilliant as the master, even if he didn't necessarily need to be in it. 6.5. By the way, I gave Underworld a minus 5 out of 10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dear. Oh dear. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, Simon Lock, uh, Lockwood, um, and this is a really long one, so I won't read all of it. It just says, possibly my least favourite poetry story, but after watching it after many years, found there was quite a bit to enjoy. Hmm. Uh, Maurice Barry is outstanding a terrific character actor as Dent who has some menace and subtlety but so is Helen Worth who's instantly recognisable and uh, and believes the fact that child actors can be a problem she's excellent and no wonder she went on to have a great career he goes on to give it a 6 out of 10 okay. uh, it says uh, a couple of really good performances and being a little better than he remembered yes um, let's move on to Toby Coleman says I don't mind it but it goes on a bit I'm not sure if it needed to yeah. be six parts, but it's a decent enough uh, to have on in the background. It does lose interest in the miners versus colonists uh, when mm. we know there isn't a doomsday weapon on the planet. Uh, overall, uh, some decent social commentary, but suffers the usual six-part problems. Also, why did they wait until part four for the Masters to show up? Oh, well, six out of ten. Cool. Uh, Peter Falkus says, uh, I really wanted to enjoy this one as John Pertwee and Katie Manning are just great in the majority of the episodes. This one is easily two eps too long. I'm guessing yeah. Dudley was on holiday when this one was being produced. The synthesizers used sound like nails on a blackboard. Uh, the sets for the Primitive City are good, but the Primitives themselves, oh dear, too much of a political soap for my liking. Four Doomsday Weapons out of ten. Mm, okay. And lastly, Charlie Turner says, yeah. underrated, even if it does feel like that it takes forever for the master to show up. It really doesn't seem to bother me that much, though. I like this one. Not bad because it does have some effort in there, but it does feel like a chore to get through sometimes, depending mm. on the mood I'm in personally. And it couldn't have been a whole lot better than what it turned out. So eight out of ten. An eight, okay. An eight. And fine. just very quickly, one of our Discord users sent in a very quick review. Doc Haunt said, incredibly dull and far too long, although it does pick up as soon as Delgado shows up. No reason for it to be a six-parter, though. Would have benefited from a cut to four parts and uh, gives it a 4.5 out of 10. Mm, Indeedy. So um, the overall score then do, let's go with a six, I think. I think so. That yeah. sounds about right, doesn't it? Yes. Okie dokie then, what have we got next week, Bud? So next week, yeah, now correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the last of our Peter Davison's? I think it might be. It is the last uh, one. Yep. It must be, yeah. And we've saved the best till last, <laughs> you could say. Uh, it's a funny little story, this from, from what I remember. Um, Planet of Fire. 
next week. Planet of Fire. Funny one, this, yeah. isn't it? I haven't watched this for years. Yeah, it is a funny old one. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to round out Davison's era with that one. So, yes. All righty then. Let's, uh, let's wrap there, dude, for 380. All righty. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Big Blue Box. That was episode 380. Um, So, Colony in Space, reasonably okay. Reasonably okay, sixes all round. Next week, as Adam said, we're going to be reviewing the fifth Doctor story and the final one for us, which is Planets of Fire. So get your DVDs fired up or BritBox, get that watch, because we'll be asking for for your thoughts on all that stuff. In the meantime, make sure you are following or subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode when they land every single Friday or the monthly roundtables. You can also listen to every episode for free over on the website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk and you can read all of the very cool reviews and articles from our writing team. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Do a search for us, you'll find us on there. Or there are links on the website. We chat Doc Do throughout the week. So come and get involved there. And we have a free Discord server. There's a link on the website. Hop in there and chat Doctor Who with lots of other cool Who fans. And if you like the podcast and like everything, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating over on something like Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And thank you to all of those that have left reviews thus far. Don't forget to remember to check out Adam's oh, yes. channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag. Plenty of YouTube videos. Go and have a look. Also on all the socials. All of them. Every single one. <laughs> he is now. Even TikTok. Yeah. yeah. Go and give Adam stuff a watch. Some really cool stuff over there. Grab a, grab a drink and, uh, and dive in. Okay, until next week for 381. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Hey. Hey.